would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We have been looking and working our way through verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We will pray, and then we will read the word of the Lord. Oh Lord, we come come this glorious day to worship and to spirit and to truth, your truth, your spirit. Father, your word lays before us eternal. Father, let us, who are called by your names, rejoice the time you've given us to study, to look, to feed, to feast upon the eternals. Lord, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Show us your spirit transforming fallen man before our very eyes. We thank you for the privilege of being here. We thank you for the privilege of being called by you. We thank you for the privilege of being in your church, the bride of Christ. And Lord, we thank you for your holy book, this glorious day. In Christ's name, amen. Beginning in verse 1, chapter 3 through verse 6. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter written in our heart, known and read by all men, being manifest that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This is uh, a text that I have uh, spent much time in uh, recently and in the past that um, I have prayed over and over that the Lord would emblazon it in the fabric of my being. We can kind of read through it and it's sort of a pause in there, but if you take and remove your chapter numbers and you remove your verse numbers, you see that he's coming out of the question that he asked in verse 16, who is adequate for these things? Who is adequate to be the aroma of Christ to all men? Who is adequate to be that sweet fragrance of the knowledge of Christ raising to God in heaven. What is your qualification? How, how, how do you do that? Is there a school? Is, is, there, is there something that I can go do to do this? 
And the Apostle Paul deals with this because he's coming off of that question. And what had happened is he had left Corinth, had been in Ephesus for a number of years, and false teachers had come in behind him saying that Paul wasn't qualified. Paul wasn't adequate. And what you see in the life of the Apostle Paul is that they spent time attacking him personally because if I can get you to doubt the messenger, then you will throw away the message. I shared with you when we started this book, it's been a bit of a time ago, hasn't it? That this book deals with ministry. If you are saved this day, you are a minister of Jesus Christ. And we will start laying some phenomenal foundations in the weeks and the months to come should the Lord tarry. But when I, I look at this question, who is the adequate minister? Contextually, I would say that we're dealing with a pastor here. But I, in the broad scheme of things, I believe that this is valid to every Christian. How can I be adequate to speak forth the knowledge of Christ that it becomes this fragrance, it becomes this aroma that permeates everything and everywhere I go? How do you do that? How do I walk in such a manner in the knowledge of Christ that my life and my words are life to the living and death to the dying? And the Apostle Paul has laid this out here in these five points you see in this outline on the back of your bulletins. And we began with first one last week. He has an established godliness. Okay. I don't need people. To give me letters of recommendation, the Apostle Paul says. Do I need to commend ourselves again? The word there, commend, in the original language means to re-you. Do I need to re-describe myself to you? Do I need to reinvent myself to you? Do I need to re-invite myself into you? You know me. I was there for 18 months and I spent day in and day out going from house to house, preaching and teaching. You saw my life. There was nothing hidden. His godliness went before him. You saw it. You saw it. How do I, in the knowledge of Christ, Proclaim life to the living and death to the dying. First thing, you see the life. The godliness of the Apostle Paul. The godliness of the pastor. The godliness of this minister. It is seen. It is evident. Not only is it that, it is a testimony unto you. You have already seen it. You know, I, I, I deal with bikers a lot. Um, because I work on motorcycles, right? And one of the things that always amazes these guys is I never use profanity, all right? 
And how, how do you do that? I mean, you just smashed your finger and you didn't even say, gosh darn. How, how do you do that? You know what? That ain't me, people. That ain't me. All right, and I want to show this, and this is going to start building to a crescendo at the end of this chapter. It will take us a while to get through it. This brings me to the second thing. Look at verses 2 and 3. See, you see this today. You know, what, you know I, I, I published a book and the foreword is by... Or this book has been denoted by da-da. Or I have a letter that says I graduated from da-da. All right. Paul says, do I need a letter? Do I need a letter to come to you? Or do I need a letter as from you? And he says, verse 2. You are our letter. Written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Now stop right there. I watch the evangelical church today. You know, we've got websites where uh, if a church is looking for a pastor, they can fill out the website and, and it says, this is what we want from our pastor. And if a pastor is looking for a church, he can put his resume on on there, and and you know, and and then I don't. That just seems corny to me. Uh, you know, at my age, I can honestly say, I think I've written one resume in my life. Maybe that's why I have such a what a resume, because I've read some of them. I've looked at some of the things that churches say that they want from a pastor and it breaks my heart. Paul is the real deal. Not only, now get a hold of this. You really need to do this. At some point in your lives, you're going to have to find a pastor. If you move, you're going to need to find another church and you're going to need to have to see what the pastor is like. Is this shepherd one of God's men? Okay, Uh, you know what? If you think I'm going to live forever, you're in trouble. So somewhere down the line, should the Lord tarry, I'm out of here. Okay, and what are you going to go look for? Because it's obvious that even in a church that the foundation is built on the things of God, it is easy for them to what? Be swayed. Paul says, I'm the real deal. I am adequate minister of God, not only because of the evidence of my life, the life that I live, but also of the evidence of the lives of the Corinthians. You know, I was thinking about this when I was kind of going through this text. I thought, you know what, if I was going to go someplace to another church or they wanted references, you know what I'd give them? Our church directory. You want references? Here. Some of these people have known me for all the years of my ministry here. Okay, others. Who? No, I wasn't there. I'm a biannual Christian. Anyway, 
Paul says there in verse 2, you are our letter. You want a letter? You are our letter. You are known and you are read by all men. Remember what the question is? Who is adequate to be the fragrance of Christ to all people? Corinth, you are. The Corinthians were the fragrance and the aroma of Christ to the city of Corinth. See, false show up, believe it or not. And they want to know who you are. Better yet, where are you from? Where did you go to school? That's interesting, don't you think? These here in Corinth, I believe we're from Jerusalem, and you'll see how I keep building on that. But we have it. You know, I came from the first church. I'm in and out of Jerusalem down there. I showed you last week that there was in the church in Jerusalem a sect of the Pharisees. If you go read Galatians and a few other letters, you will see that there was a group that was coming around behind the Apostle Paul. They call them Judaizers. And what they were trying to do is make you Jewish to your salvation. You fulfill the Mosaic law, and we know what Christ has done. These guys would come in, and they would have letters, letters of recommendation. And when you read this letter, do you understand that you are reading the testimony of others? What if they're wrong? Paul says... I have a better letter. You. You. See, the adequate minister has transformed lives. Paul says the only testimonial I need outside of my own life is the fact that you're saved and sanctified. That is the fact that God has stepped into Corinth, the city of Corinth, an awful place, and done a work through this man. It was a nasty place. To be promiscuous was to be called Corinthianized. Corinth was awful. You have no idea. And he says, using this instrument, God has carved out a church in this horrific place. And this church is to God's glory. This church is to His promise, His praise. See, you're my most excellent, my most eloquent, my most glorious letter. Your transformed lives. Listen, your transformed lives, I don't need secondhand testimony. See, it can't compare to the ink. Bring a letter from somebody. Bring a letter from somewhere. And yet, Corinth itself was the living proof of Paul's adequacy. You know, and I was thinking about this because... These letters that Paul is talking about, most people, when you carry a letter at that time, you carried it in a bag. You'd fold it up, roll it up, whatever you would do. You'd stick it in a bag. Okay? And it isn't seen unless I bring it out and show it to you. 
And if I bring it out and show it to you, if you can't read, it is meaningless to you. And yet he says, you are my letter. I don't have to take it out. It is seen everywhere I go. And you don't even have to have the ability to read. You can just look at the changed lives and say, look. It could be read by anybody. In fact, it is known and read by who? All men. All men. Anyone and everyone who ever met one of those believers in Corinth could see and hear and understand the transforming work of the Lord Jesus Christ through the instrument of the Apostle Paul. See, Paul didn't need a letter stuck in a bag. He had a letter written on his heart. He says, here, you are my letter. You are our letter written in our hearts. You know what that means? I carry it everywhere I go, even if I lose my bag. Written in a heart means that you are close. That means that you are precious. That means that you are beloved by the Apostle Paul. Paul says, I know you. Paul says, I'm concerned about you. Paul says, I am aware of you. Paul says, I hold you in my heart. You're there all the time. That's where the letter is. It's in my heart. I remember one early one morning I got up, I was standing in this little house thing and on the Sea of Galilee and I had my directory with me and I walked out to the Sea of Galilee and the sun was just starting to come up. It was kind of, um, you know, that twilight time there. And I got to pray for every single one of you by name sitting by the Sea of Galilee. Why? You're precious to my heart. The adequate minister understands this. He understands that what he is doing changes lives. This is a tremendous affirmation by the Apostle Paul of his love for these people. I mean, if you read 1 Corinthians, you think, what a group of knuckleheads. I mean, most of us in our mentality today would say, I am dusting my feet off and I'm out of here. And yet the Apostle Paul understood that in that 18 month, he had watched people get saved from the pit of hell and sanctified in the clothing of Jesus Christ to a transformation that no one could deny. Second Corinthians chapter three or chapter seven, sorry, verse three. I do not speak to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Paul says, I have a letter. A letter that commends me. Yeah, I got one. It's in my heart. It's not something that can be read by just a few. It is living. It can be known. It can be read. It can be seen. And it can, all of this can happen to everybody. That's pretty good if you think about it. You know, and that kind of bothers me today because I watch people looking for pastors or ministers and all the rest of it. And nobody's looking to say, has this person's ministry changed lives? And it's more than 
behavior modification. Look at verse 3. It is being read by all men. Being manifest that you are the letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. The word there, being manifest, in the syntax of the Greek language, it means that you are being consistently made conspicuous. I think that's cool. You know how long it took me to practice to say all them C's? Oh, wore me out. You should see my mirror. I spit all over that thing. You are constantly being made conspicuous. You want a letter out of a bag to prove the point that God works through me? Wait a minute. You're my letter. Continually being made visible to everybody by everybody. But I want you to look at it again because if you look at that verse 3, you are a letter of Christ. You know what? It's not an earthly letter, it's you. It's everywhere, manifest. It was written by Christ. Because Christ saves, Christ sanctifies, Christ glorifies. Only by His Word and through the loyal, faithful preacher does that happen. There is no other way. I don't care what college you go to. I don't care if you go to seminary. I don't care what you do. God says there's one plan. And the Corinthians bear witness to it. And it is only by His Word through that loyal, faithful preacher do you see the testimony of those constantly manifesting the person and the work of Christ. Look, there's a little bitty phrase there in the New American Standard that says, cared for by us. That's a cool word. Diaconeto. Okay? And it literally, the little translation would be ministered by us or delivered by us. Uh, but the one that I found that I thought, you know, really kind of sums this thing up in the context is that it has been inscribed by us. See, Paul understood who did the work. God did. Christ wrote the letter. Paul put it down and he delivered it. You know, I, I try, and I've shared this before with you people. My job requirements, you know what it is? God has his word. I spend time in his word and then I bring it out and I set it down at the table. I'm a waiter. That doesn't get tipped very well. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. I am a table waiter. I spend time in the kitchen listening to him, knowing him, what he's saying, and then I just deliver it. That's what the Apostle Paul said. He says, we're not adequate in and of ourselves for anything. 
And that's their truth. Christ wrote the letter. The letter commending Paul. Paul put it down and he delivered it. Tremendous thought if you think about it. There was a letter. Here it is. It's a living letter. And that living letter is manifest in the transformed and was inscribed by the apostle and is authored by Christ. I delivered it. Here's how this thing works. God writes it down. I deliver it. Then the Spirit of God transforms it in the hearts and souls of the people who hear. Only Christ can write a letter with the Holy Spirit. That's what it says there. With the Spirit of the living God. That would be the Holy Spirit. Christ uses that, if you want to use this analogy, ink. Only Christ can do this. The letter is alive. It is in you and it is in you and alive by the Spirit of the living God. It's so lacking in our congregations today. Some phenomenal teachers out there. Some heady people out there. But let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. If they're not taking what Christ wrote in the power of the living, the spirit of the living God, it might as well be something on a piece of paper in ink. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse five says, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in the power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Then he says this, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You see point one and point two of Corinthians fulfilled there in verse five of First Thessalonians. You want to see a church, you want to see a rock and roll universal church that nothing has ever stopped. There's a church, there's always been a church in Thessaloniki, even when Thessalonica, even when it was Saloniki, Thessaloniki, and all them other Nikis that it used to be, and all the rest of it. There's always been an evangelical presence there. And if you want to see how it's done, you look at chapters one through four. And you'll see it. It's laid out right there. And that is the ultimate church growth program. In first, uh, first Corinthians chapter two, verse five, four and five, actually. My message and my preaching. Okay, that's cool because message would be the private side of teaching. Preaching would be the public side of it. We're not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. He understood that. I see it today and it drives me nuts. To see people having a form of godliness, and I'm talking about pulpits, having a form of godliness and denying the power. They manipulate people. Let me stir your emotions. Well, let me tell you something. I can stir your emotions today. I can stir them right now. But if you walk out of here and get into a car accident and a loved one is killed, them emotions aren't going to do you a bit of good. 
In this life, you will have suffering. And the only way you make it through that is by the power of God, the indwelling fusion of His Word written in you, and you get that through faithful, loyal men who show themselves approved, rightly dividing truth. That's it. There is no plan B. There is no plan B. We have to hear this. Well, but that's just preaching. Yeah, through the foolishness of preaching, people's souls will be made reconciled to a holy, righteous God. It's not human. Transformation is the work of the Spirit of God. It produces a living letter that cannot be silent. It will be known and read. This is that one that gets me into trouble all the time, I told you. All right? When people tell me they're saved, and I say, how do you know? And then they come up with some whatever. Okay? And I there's times that I have challenged people's salvation. And you know what they always say to you? Judge not lest you be judged. I'm not. I'm just telling you in light of the word, you don't look saved. Why? <laughs> just because I, if I'm standing in a garage, it doesn't make me a car. All right? I attend church. That don't make you a Christian. It doesn't. It has no effect on you being a Christian. Now, if you're getting the Bible preached at you, eventually you're either going to walk away and start the second Baptist church or the Word of God is going to pierce your heart and you will bow before Him weeping and saying, what must I do to be saved? I've watched people struggle with the ordinance of baptism. Well, baptism doesn't save you. I was like, you're right. Well, then why would people be baptized? Well, the Bible says to. Well, but if it doesn't save you, then why would I waste that time? I said, if you're struggling with baptism, wait till he starts messing with your pride. It goes downhill from there, man. Bab- baptism was the easiest thing I ever did. Okay? And, 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 and from that point on, <laughs> I've, I've had a... Few knocking head sessions with the creator of existence. It's just not a good place to be. Okay, now I want to go back to the text because um, I'm going to lay some word today that we will build on over the till verse 18, shall we say? Listen, you are cared for by us. It is cared by us. That means it was delivered by us. We inscribed it to you. You manifest, continually manifest, you are the letter of Christ. Look what he says. It's not written with ink. Remember when we used to have permanent ink? You remember permanent ink? I mean, I think we, when I grew up, they called it Indian ink. Uh, and if you got that on something, you'd better hope you liked where it was. Okay? Well, you did. All right. He says, this isn't like the others. This isn't, it's not like the ink that 
these false teachers would run around with these letters of recommendation. He says, but they are with the spirit of the living God. And then he uses a, a reference here. And this is where I'm going to start thinking about this. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. What? He contrasts two things here. The writing of the knowledge of Christ on tablets of stone. And tablets of the human heart. And what the heck is a tablet of stone? I thought, you know, by the time the New Testament was written, we had like parchment. I mean, it probably wasn't like our notebook paper, but, you know, it was paper. Well, I thought you'd never ask. Tablets of stone. I want you to think about this because there's a times that you and I, we, I think we really miss this. I, I, you know what? I don't think we really miss this. I am emphatic that we really miss this. Okay? Tablets of stone. What the heck is he referring to? Any guesses? Them ones that Charlton Heston carried around. You know, I don't know what he did with them, but... Oh, that's right. He, he was like me in the table waiter. He dropped them and they broke. <laughs> that doesn't say a lot for me, does it? Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. Okay, this is where he has the, oops, come on up and talk to me, issue You know, I, I have some things I want to share with you. And we miss this. He goes up on the mountain. Remember, he's brought them out across the Red Sea. They're all hanging out, partying, thinking, we're not Egypt no more. We're not Egypt no more. Where are we? But anyway... Um, he goes up on the hill and the cloud comes down. You got the lightning and the banging and all else and stuff. And everybody else says, yeah, this is kind of unnerving. You know, is he up there just making everybody mad? What is about to happen here? Here's what it says. When he had finished speaking, this would be God. When Yahweh had finished speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone. Now, normally we stop right there. But you need to read the rest of it. All right? We think about Charlton Heston with two tablets of stone. He come down. I got the Ten Commandments. I got five over here. I got five over here. Truth of the matter is, they were written on the front and the back. But here's what you're missing. How does the verse end? It was written by the finger of God. You got that? It was written on stone by the finger of God. Do you know how long that makes it true? Eternal. Eternal. The tablets that the Ten Commandments on were God's work. Okay, if you move over to chapter 32, look at verses 15 and 16. Then Moses turned. He went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. Tablets which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. In case you didn't understand what both sides was. The tablets were God's work. Do you understand that? I get people trying to tell me that, well, the Ten Commandments was man's way of trying to make morality. No! They were God's work, written by God's finger. The writing was God's writing engraved On the tablets. Do you understand the emphasis that they're trying to get across here? The tablets were God's. The writing was God's. 
He did it with his own hand. But now you go back to your text. And you see what is happening in Corinth was not God writing on stone, but it was God writing where? Do we understand how different that is? Listen, I want you to think about this. And this is going to get, this is one of those, it's like you're going to start peeling an onion. And it might make you cry. <laughs> okay? But this thing's going to start getting so big, I don't, I, you just need to pray. The Decalogue, okay? That's the Ten Commandments. Was written by God. It was divine work. You understand that? All right. Do you understand that it couldn't and it cannot be compared to the writing of divine truth on the heart? Now listen, the miracle on Sinai, let's be realistic. Amen? A miracle! The Ten Commandments! Check it out! That's a miracle! Cannot even match the miracle of salvation. See, to write on stone is external. To write on the heart is... Remember, it's not what goes into the man that defiles him, but what comes out defiles him. Now, I want you to think about something here for a second, because if you go back to your text, okay, Second Corinthians, all right, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Okay, do you understand something about the tablets of stone and the tablets of the human heart? Let me tell you something. What was it that he gave us? Ten Commandments, right? Decalogue, front and back, written by the finger. That's what it, we call the law of God, right? So what's he comparing here? The law of God written on stone, external. What would be written on the human heart? Do you know what I'm trying to get at? The miracle is still the miracle, but the law never changed. Same law. God hasn't changed His law. He just wrote it on the heart. Now, I have watched this, and I have heard this, and I have listened to this, and I have done relatively well in my life holding my temper. I've had a few shortcomings. I hear this. We're in the New Testament. We're in the New Covenant. We are under grace. We are not bound by the law. You know what I argue? More than ever. See, the new covenant doesn't mean we don't have to keep the law. The new covenant means we can keep the law. 
I now have the ability. Same law. The law of the new covenant is the same law of the old covenant. The law which was written by the finger of God on stone is external. It is outside of man. It confronts man. It confronts him with his inabilities to satisfy a just and requirements of the holy God of existence. It condemns us. It damns us. We look at it and we say, oh. Well, maybe you don't. Every time I look at it, I, uh oh. If you look at the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to get into this more next week. If you look at the Ten Commandments, I can split it up in half. The first five is man's responsibility and relationship with God. The second half is man's responsibility with man. You read it today in Romans. Your role with a... Man, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet. Go just down the line. That's your responsibility, all right? Listen, just do the first one. You'll have no other guys before me. No problem, really. You can take the 66 books of Scripture, all 66 of them, and I can condense them into the Ten Commandments. But I can do better than that. I can take 66 books of Scripture and condense them into two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the first five. Love your neighbor as yourself. Second five. And God has written that into the hearts of his people. See, the tablets of stone confront man and show that he is damned, he is condemned. But when the law is written on the human heart, it transforms him. But you know what is amazing about it? Still the same law. The law hasn't changed. This shouldn't surprise us. The prophet said there would come a time when God would write his law on the hearts of mankind. You see it in the 31st chapter of Jeremiah, verse 33. And this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will. Now, who's doing this? All right. I will put my law within them on their hearts. I will write it and I will be their God and they will be my people. Do you see why I get cranky about other religions? Other religions means that you can do it. I tell you what, other religions, I don't care if it's Muslim, I don't care if it's Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, I don't care which one it is. I'll give you the Ten Commandments and go do it. 
In uh, Jeremiah 32, verse 38, he says this, They shall be my people, and I will be their God. His contemporary, Ezekiel, says the same thing. In Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19, I, God speaking, will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart, flesh. He makes the same statement over in chapter 36 of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 says this. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You will be careful to observe my ordinances. Why? I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Listen, these texts I just give you out of Ezekiel and Jeremiah, you know what? This is all about what God is going to do in you. You know, I get into trouble. Well, I can't believe you're questioning my salvation. How can I not read that? I will remove your heart of stone. I will put a heart of flesh in you. God says I will do that. Do you understand that? How do you hide that? But yet, you've seen them. You ever seen them Christians got the, the wrinkles on their forehead? They're kind of doing one of them kind of things. You, ever, you know which ones? Some of you know which ones I'm talking about. Some of you are like, what? He's talking about me. No. <laughs> you see these people saying, if I do this Bible study and this prayer and I read a psalm and I read a proverb and I read an Old Testament and I'm going to walk with Jesus. <laughs> no, you won't. You know what? If I got to tell you to read your Bible daily, you need to go check out where your heart's at. You may not be his. Listen, if you're running to your Bible to get all the rules and regulations and the do's and the don'ts, you are a poor, wretched creature. Because I just gave it to you and it says, I, I will write on your heart with my spirit, my statues. I will be your God and you will be my people. See, there's not another law. But there is the law that is external. There is the law that is internal. Listen, one of the things that I have noticed consistently in my life, walking with the King of Kings, the false hang on to the stone. I remember talking to a guy one time, and this guy was going through on the red bull, and it's sacrificed to build the temple, and it can't have more than three white hairs on the red bull. And, and he had all of this detail, and all of this stuff was going on. And I'm sitting there listening to this, thinking, oh, how do you know all that? And, you know, there's a part of me says, why do you know all that? But anyway, you know, and the bull can't be raised. There's some guy trying to raise white red, red heifers down in Alabama or Georgia or somewhere down there. And, and, and that can't be good because it has to be raised on the hills just outside of Jerusalem. And he had all these details and all the rest of it. And I watched his life. His life was that of pornography and self-indulgence. How do you know all this and you live the way you do? Well, because the word of the Lord 
was external to him. Paul says the letter of my commendation that I'm doing what God says is to change hearts that it's in that city in Corinth. False hang on to that stone. It's basically salvation by works. I remember right after the Columbine shooting, I went down there the day of the shooting. And then I met with the district attorneys and a number of different people over a course of about two months. And they had concluded that what we need to do is put the Ten Commandments back up in the schools. And I thought, for what? And I did say that one time in a meeting with the sheriff, chief, whatever, sheriff guy and district. I said, for what? Well, because it gives us rules. No, it gives you condemnation. The King James translation of the book of Galatians says that the law was a school marm. Okay, I grew up with school marms. Some of you grew up with teachers. Okay, <laughs> these were mean, nasty women <laughs> and men. Anyway, um, and what it does is prove to you that you need to be saved. Well, I guess that's a good idea to put it up in high schools. But you might as well write it in Hebrew because I doubt if they're going to pay attention to it. Listen, the false hang on to the stone. The deceived hang on to the stone. They look at the externals. They want the rituals. They want the rites, the ceremonies. Paul says, I don't want that. To the Galatians, he made this statement. And you and I struggle with it. Every one of you in this room struggles with this. What you have begun in the Spirit, you are now perfecting in the flesh? Listen, if you go back to the law, you nullify grace. Just understand that. Just understand that. God promised through the prophets there would be a day when His truth would be written on the hearts of mankind. That day came and it transformed the Corinthians and they were proof of it. They were proof. They were the letter to Paul that he had preached a true message. He was authentic. He was adequate. You know, in this room right now, I know that there's some of you who are hanging on to the externals. I, I, maybe it was just the way I grew up. Mine was a little rougher or whatever you want to call it. Um, there ain't no way. I don't care what you lay out there. I can't do it. I know I can't do it. It's impossible. I don't care how many times you tell me. I don't even care if you eventually make me memorize it. I can't do it. And God says, right. You can't. I did. I will. I have. And I am going to. And let me tell you something. You're going to learn that what ministry is is very simple. It is a ministry of reconciliation. I preach in the knowledge of Christ, the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of Christ everywhere I go. And sometimes I actually use words. And when I do that, God's spirit convicts that person. And all of a sudden, that heart of stone is removed from their chest and a heart of flesh is put in there that is controlled by the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you have to push yourself, you have to... Oh, yeah, it's Sunday again. That gun, I need to go to church. You know what? That's works. That's works, people. You mean the pastor's telling me I don't have to go to church? Is that what I'm telling you? 
Listen, I got it's just this simple. What is your alternative? Live and be comfortable with the lost or live and be comfortable with the saved? That says a lot. That's what Paul's saying. Your lives, your transformed lives, you being ripped out of darkness and thrown into light is commendation that I am adequate for what God has called. Now then, think about it in this perspective. You have a ministry. You're saved this day. You are a minister and you are a minister of reconciliation to a lost and dying human race. Okay? Every one of you. If you're saved. How many transformed lives are directly due to your faithfulness and loyalty to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Did you hate it when he says that? I think with that one, I will close in prayer. Father, thank you for removing our old wretched stone hearts. Father, may we who are called by your name with great joy and praise and a longing for hallelujah. And then we bow in absolute humility to the amazing things you have done. Father, to the amazing things you will do. And yet, Father, this, this covenant that we are in, this new one, sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ. May it become our passion. May it become the single thing that drives us. That we, each of us that is here, can, through the knowledge of Christ, be that sweet aroma to our loved ones, to our co-workers, to, to the people in the groceries, everywhere we go, that fragrance of Christ. And Father, knowing that it rises even unto you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you do. Thank you for the amazing things that you've already done. (sighs) May we fall in love with you more and more and more with every breath you grace us until that day our faith becomes sight. May we long and strive and labor to be faithful ministers of reconciliation to a lost and dying world. In Christ's name, amen.